Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, welcome back to OzBiz Live from our Brangaroo Studios. Thanks for your company. You have tuned in to the call. Um, we cover 10 stocks as suggested by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. It's fast and furious, a lot of fun, but very informative. Let's bring in the panel for today. Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Henry, how are you, sir? Henry. Ah, oh, there we are. There we are. Ah, how are you? How are you, mate? Good to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, My pleasure, mate. Uh, be gentle on this bloke. He's a virgin on the call, Jared Pohl from ECP Asset Management. Jared, welcome okay. to the show. Good Thanks to so see much you. for having me. Yeah. Ja- um, Henry, Jared is just back from, um, from Europe, um, ah. uh, supposedly watching the Wallabies. Uh, win yeah. a World Cup, but what's oh, all well. the other teams? <laughs> so you have I to give my jet lag. No, no. How was it though? A Fantastic. Good experience? Yeah, amazing experience. It was pretty awesome to watch South Africa win the second oh, uh, yeah. in a row. Um, Sia Khaleesi is a phenomenal leader, I guess, of that team. But, yep. you know, big transition in both the Wallabies and the All Blacks now. A lot of the players retiring. Yes. So, yeah, it's going to well, be... Well, not, maybe not the so. Wallabies have a chance going forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well... Uh, they were so young, the Wallabies, yeah. that not many retiring because yeah. uh, the old guys didn't actually get picked, which was probably one of the problems as well. Uh, but good to have you here Thanks on the uh, on the panel for the call. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, first five stocks we'll be uh, running our eye over in this first half hour of the show. Uh, GQG Partners, uh, NextDC, Atlas Arteria, Boral and Megaport. Stock of the day, though. Uh, stock that I pick, which is uh, in the news today. Thought we'd take a look at Encore. The packaging company is out this morning with its quarterly earnings report. It affirmed earnings guidance of 67 to 71 cents a share. Uh, company's EBITDA slipped 5% to 459 million in the three months to September from a year ago. Uh, but Encore said it was actively looking for acquisition. So. Uh, unlike a lot of companies, has given a bit of guidance, um, not only from a trading point of view, but looking for acquisitions in the future. Jared, what do you think of the update today from Amcor yeah, so and, and the stock itself? Amcor's not really in our wheelhouse, we're, as, as you know, we're growth investors. But um, from what I, when I had a look today, I mean, it feels tough, doesn't it? You've yep. got, you know, volumes struggling, basically. Um, but they have had some mix in terms of price, ability and cost out story. It's sort of that seems to be the silver lining for them and their ability to, to, to rip costs out and continue to kind of innovate, I guess, in this plastics. But I think, you know, broadly as a longer term investor, you've got to really question whether or not, um, you know, it's somewhere you want to be. Right. Given, you know, s- sustainability and all of these issues being a plastics manufacturer. So for me, that's that's probably one of the um, the longer term concerns, I think, with the company. But yeah. 
you know, it met consensus numbers. Um, the second half, management is saying that they're expecting to lap a lot of the divestitures in Russia. So, you know, there should be a better second half result. But, um, right. you know, longer term investment, I, I would have to say that I'm a bit challenged on the story and it's not somewhere we would traditionally put out. So you wouldn't yeah. be there at the moment because no, no. you look at the share price, it's had yeah. a pretty awful year yeah. and it's getting down. It's an interesting chart, isn't it? It's yeah. getting below those lows of the last three years as well. Yeah, so well, I guess it's... Chart-wise, does it look right? Yeah, for us, um, I would say that if the bull case is that it's trading at a multiple um, that's lower than its historical average, it's probably not the right way to be thinking about investment. Um, right. You know, mean reversion as a strategy is probably not a great one. But um, but yes, it's, it's, it's had a bit of a tough time, but for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, so it's just about, for me, where do we go from here? And, you know, the... The, the benefits here are the cost out story and maybe volumes recovering and, and that's something that's really going to depend on the macro and their execution ability. Yep. Okay. Henry, what's your view on Amcor? Well, I've got to say it's not the most exciting of stocks, is it? Let's face it. It is uh, widely considered, I suspect, as a defensive play uh, in the packaging mm. space. And the packaging sector itself has been under some pressure. And of course, we have seen even recently in days with Endeavour talking about how consumers are moving uh, to lower uh, cost brands to some extent, which I guess does translate to lower cost packaging as well because they don't have the fancy packaging perhaps on the lower cost things. I think it's still going to be a bit of a struggle for them. Uh, the whole global packaging sector is trading on its uh, lowest sort of PE for some time. Amcor, no you know, there's no real excitement here, is there? They uh, they reaffirmed guidance. They have got some pricing power to some extent. As uh, Jared says, they have got a bit of a cost out story going on. Acquisitions would be good, but they are always fraught with danger. Of course, this made the big US acquisition uh, basically uh, change the, the, the face of the company effectively. Uh, it was a massive acquisition some time ago. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they can buy. There's another packaging company we're talking about later, which is uh, interesting as well. But yes, I mean, it's defensive, not a bad yield, but it's not franked. Um, it's hard to see where there's a huge amount of growth coming from this one, given the global economy continues to be under pressure and consumers are pulling back spending. So I guess for me at best, it's a hold. Okay. Um, but Henry, as you say, this has always been seen as a defensive stock. But you look yeah. at that one-year chart, doesn't look flaming <laughs> yeah. defensive to me. You, know, you <laughs> no. look at defensive stocks where, when the market's turning down, you, you expect them to hold up, but none of them have. Amcor, no. Ansel, a whole bunch of those. Yeah, I guess the other, you know, the other problem is some of the, the perceived wisdom of the past in terms of, uh, you know, crackerjack Australian stories like CSL, which has been under immense pressure, oh, uh, you know, the likes of some it. of the defence, <laughs> you know, you look at some of the other defensive stocks, Endeavour is another one, even Woolies and Coles, you know, the, the defensive nature of these stocks isn't as defensive as they used to be, no. that is for sure. You know, even, you know, you look at the REIT sector and that, that's been a down and and dirty as well so you know it, it's not easy at the moment in the market and it's those defensive stocks you know maybe over a long period of time but as you rightly say amcor has been um on a downward trajectory for some time oh, as no. has ansel you know even the likes of sonic you know we've seen resmed which you think would be you know relatively defensive until as mpic came along but um you know so um yeah the more things oh. change the more things stay yeah. the same i guess i know i know you're a growth investor yeah. Jim, but 
What is a defensive stock at the moment? None of them. Well, GKG, um, I think, is one we want to talk about today. And we feel oh. like that's a really good... Um, I mean, okay. you're getting paid 10% to hold it, right? The okay. All right. Hang on. So. Charlie wants this. Yeah. GQG, the uh, uh, boutique uh, fund management company uh, yeah. based, based in the US. Yes. Yeah. So um, essentially the context is, is that Rajiv Jain, the very well-known fund manager over decades, um, set up GQG Partners in um, 2015, if I recall. Um, and I think they're the fastest growing fund manager of pretty much all time. I mean, they've, they've raised a significant amount of, of uh, funds under management um, in the last five years and continuing to do so. Yep. Um, unfortunately, if you look at that share price, it hasn't um, trended as you would expect. And, you know, that's why it's one of the biggest positions that we own, that we have in the fund. Oh, so, wow. you know, you're getting paid 10% yield essentially to own a business that, you know, all the operating metrics are moving in the right way. Um, and even the most recent quarterly, the fund flows. So it's paying 10% yield. Yeah, roughly at 10% the moment. from memory. Yeah. And funds under management going up, unlike yep. the Magellans of the world, or, yep. which is coming down. Yes, so, that's correct, yeah. Okay. And well, there's significant opportunity there for, you know, further fund growth um, in a lot of their products. So particularly in the US um, specific product. So, you know, there's global US... Um, emerging markets and you know they're really dominating in terms of their distribution we call it a distribution alpha their ability to kind of raise funds um, and you know the, the reason why they're so successful is that they're you know they're generating fantastic alpha reasonably low cost um, and they're one of the um, recent fund managers to get onto a lot of these platforms in the US uh, which just takes a, it's a fair bit of time so they're starting right. to get a lot of benefit in terms of fund flow there now okay. so we're, right. we're very excited about the opportunity for them um, and you know they just continue to print good numbers in terms of performance and in terms of flows. So, so dollar so thirty, it's uh, close to it's only been listed yeah. two or three years. Yes. Uh, so you'd be buying at these levels. Yeah, I think some of the issues with GQG is is the free float really, and and you know that's probably not a bad thing given Rajiv Jain and the staff own so much of it. But the index inclusion piece is the big issue, and that's why it trades at a bit of a discount. So right. if they can sort that out, um, the free float potentially you'll get a re-rating. But okay underlying operating metrics moving in the right way and that's that will be reflected in the share price at some point so it is a mispriced opportunity as far as mm. we can tell yeah um henry what do you think of gqg um yeah i i don't know if it's mispriced i mean i guess it's been caught up in the whole magellan slide into oblivion uh, clearly you know they've got funds under management growing 105.8 billion dollars which is good but that reminds me to some extent, of the Magellan funds under management at one stage. I guess one of the problems is with this one is they do have a little bit of key man risk, and we've seen how that can implode quite quickly, as we saw it with Hamish Douglas. Uh, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen to this one, but it does. You know, you have got a concentrated risk there uh, if, uh, if, the, if the CIO were to get run over by a bus, etc. Um, you do have a little bit of risk there, so that is a problem. And, of course, fund managers generally have been struggling to compete with ETFs because they're a much lower cost option. These guys do take quite big bets and quite concentrated and convicted bets. So I guess in, in when they get it right, they get it right in spades. But also if they get it wrong, uh, they do get it wrong as well quite uh, heavily. So for me, I guess, you know, I have a yield of around 6.9% on this one rather than 10% that Jared's got. But uh, uh, certainly, you know, there's no franking either. But certainly, if you were comparing like with like, which I guess is probably not a fair comparison, uh, Magellan with all its problems 
and uh, GQG without any of the problems and funds under management growing, I think I'd probably be doing um, the uh, the GQG every day of the week. So uh, it, it's a hold for me. It's not a screaming buy, only because, you know, as I say, there are some risks associated with, okay. with funds and uh, All right. it does have that concentrated has it, risk in my man. Hasn't been listed long and you no. say and you say the key man issue, um, but the key man issue sort of was the spark for um, Magellan in the early days, for Platinum in the early days with Care Nielsen. So yep. it could work yep. in in the early stages of a funds management yep. group like this. And this is early stages to write it up. Well, that, that is very true, Kosh. You do need a front man. I mean, any band needs a good front man, as you well know, um, whether it's Mick Jagger or, uh, or Henry you know, John Lennon. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to go there. But, what, you know, you do need a good front man. You do need a focal point. You do need the rock star. And Hamish Douglas was the rock star. The problem comes if those rock stars, and we've seen it with Platinum as well, their business model, you know, they were first Johnny on the spot doing Asian markets, international markets as fund managers, but then the world's caught up. ETFs have caught up and you can get that exposure through alternates. So you just have to be a little bit careful because the world is changing quite quickly. Uh, I'm not saying these guys are going to lose that uh, that edge. And it certainly is good to have a, a key man, but uh, it's also good to have the team behind it and to I guess, diversify that kit. You, know, you look at Jeff Wilson. I mean, he's done an amazing job uh, heading up Wilson Asset Management. And again, that, that, that rock star key man kind of uh, syndrome there, you do need that focal point. But sometimes if it goes wrong, it can go spectacularly wrong, as we've seen with Magellan. Okay. Jeff Wilson being dubbed a rock star, a lot of people would be <laughs> sort of rolling their eyes at that. Yeah. But anyhow, not <laughs> us, Henry. Not us. All right. Our next doc, uh, Henry Lachlan, wants a view on NextDC, the uh, uh, owner of the big data centres in Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, has been one of the darlings of the market over, uh, over recent years. It's dropped off a bit. Yeah, I've, I've always struggled a little bit with NextDC. I, I guess to some extent, you know, there's a lot of upfront costs involved in these data centres. There's a lot more uh, competition as well. And you get the feeling that to some extent, they do become a generic kind of infrastructure thing. Um, and with that upfront cost, it takes a while to get payback. The other problem that data centres have is they do consume a huge amount of energy. Uh, they are very, you know, they're, they're very costly to run in terms of cooling all those servers so I, i've always struggled with it and i've always struggled with next dc and for that reason i have kind of uh, avoided it uh, to my detriment at times but it has been struggling i guess you now the whole tech sector has been under pressure yeah there are a lot of entrants coming into this uh, data center you know you've got uh goodman group coming into it you've got uh, macquarie uh, telecom or whatever the new name is Macquarie Corporate, uh, Telstra's in there and of course you've got the big gorillas like Amazon etc so I just struggle to get really excited about this I know the demand seems to be infinite however it does seem to be that the cost of building these things is increasing the cost of cooling these things is increasing and I worry that it just becomes a generic commodity and of course you've got AI coming along and does that mean that you have to put in more expensive technology to service that uh, that sector. So for me, it's probably a hold only because, uh, you know, I, as I say, I haven't been particularly uh, good mm. at picking this one, but um, okay. it is on its lows recently. So um, there is possibly some upside, but for me, it's still a hold. Okay. 
Uh, Jared, what do you think of next DC? Yeah, I came on the show, not this show, but another segment a while ago and had similar views. I think um, personally for me, data centers are great at at the asset level. When they, at capacity, they're throwing off a huge amount of cash. But we would prefer to be something like a megaport um, where it's a much more capital efficient business. And I mean, the problem with, say, an XDC is, yes, the demand is there and it's it's leveraged a a huge amount of thematics. So that's what's sort of driving that, that share price, really, you know, AI cloud adoption and so forth. Yeah. Um, but the problem with it is that every time they fill their data centers, they've got to build a new one and then you've got to, you get hit with another capital raise. So, um, but the company, that, that being said, I think it's a, it's a bit unique in you know, Australasia. Um, you know, it won the largest contract outside of the US. It was a 35 megawatt contract, if I recall correctly. And there's a huge pipeline. So right. you know, this is underwritten kind of revenue and, and, and earnings, but the problem is that those unit economics don't accrue to the end shareholder for quite some time so it's more of a time horizon thing Um, and you just keep funding their expansion and now they're looking at like Auckland and Malaysia and so forth but um, but yes they've got a huge pipeline I think there's a five billion dollar Microsoft contract um, that's been touted which they're very likely a beneficiary of so you know thematically it's it's a great story um, great news items but you know, again, I'm sort of with Marcus right. there. Does it does it accrue to the end investor? We're, for we're, you, if people look in this sector, yeah. Megaport's a better option for you. We're, we're in Megaport, yes, right. over okay. the XDC. Yep. All right, okay. Um, and just a, a bit of trivia. Um, uh, there's more carbon emissions uh, out of data centres yep. than the global airline business. Yes. For those, yep. everyone that says, oh, why do you fly in a plane so much? It's bad for the environment. I say, well, get off your phones because <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's got to be driven by data centres and more emissions are coming out of that. Now, so. I think similar as in terms of a data point, the Sydney, I think S1 has a similar power usage to Darwin. So wow. Yeah. Is that right? Pretty sure, yeah. God. So there's some big, big power usage there. Which, yeah, absolutely. And under you know GPU usage for AI training, it's just going to get more intense and yep. cooling and stuff. Absolutely, so it's, uh, interesting. All right, let's go from data centres to uh, to toll roads. And Jared Evelyn wants a view on Atlas Arteria. They own toll roads in France, Germany, and the United States. They're the old uh, Macquarie Infrastructure Group yeah. that was renamed. Yeah. So. Uh, our investment style, we want predictability of returns and um, the key asset for them is this APRR out of France. So it's a bunch of interconnected motorways and tunnels in, in France. Now the issue for them, it's only leasehold and it runs out in about 12 years, I believe. Right. So um, you know, that's the first kind of key issue and it's whether or not they can renew that lease and can they afford it um, you know, at, at, a, at, a sense that make, at a price that makes it economical for them. Um, they also have had recently, there's some legislation in France which is it's in draft form, but whether that gets put in um, will also change the economics slightly of that business. So I think it, it docks um, revenues above 120 million at about 4.6%. So it flows through to dividends roughly at about four to five cents a share. Yeah. Um, so there are a bit of risks there with that business. Um, I would say it's, it wouldn't necessarily be there at this stage. Um, you know, there's a lot, lot of things that could go wrong. Um, you know. Rates are high, inflation. Yeah. These things are generally positive, but you know some of the things here, like this. This is meant to be another defensive yeah. stock, isn't it? <laughs> Look at that, five-year low. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't. I, I mean, um, it's, it's it's got a yield on it, so um, okay, that's probably one reason. But there's other places to get yield. But but, yeah. but pe- people say to justify a stock mm. like this, 
that hey, it's a good inflation hedge because yeah. the tolls go yes. up with inflation. Yeah. The issue is because they've got so much debt. debt. That's right. Higher interest rates counter yes. that inflation hedge, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but then again, the, the other risk, as we mentioned earlier, is that that, that renewed lease, it's 12 years away. But right. you know, okay. is but, that going to be economic for them? Too? Right. Bit of a cloud over yeah. it. Mm. Uh, Henry, Atlas Arteria? Um, yes, uh, interesting, I guess, uh, and uh, Jared's spot on in some respects. This used to be called, when it first came out, it was colloquially called bad MIG. Uh, there was good MIG <laughs> and there was bad MIG. Uh, the good MIG kind of morphed into transurban. The bad MIG uh, was this thing, Atlas Arterials, and uh, for a long time it did struggle. You sound uh, like you've been a bit scarred by this. Was this during no, your, all, your not, time at not Macquarie? Not no, not at all. Um, no, right. I was, I've always been a big fan of infrastructure stocks and, right. uh, and made lots of money out of them in Macquarie. And we made lots of money for clients when I was a broker out of bad meat because it was completely and utterly mispriced for a long time. Yeah. and went from about 50 or 60 cents to, uh, you know, six, seven dollars. So it was an absolute mm-hmm. winner. The, the, the problem that they have, I guess, is, uh, as, as Jared rightly pointed out, um, is, is a number on front because is French Road, the APRR. Well, you know what Macron's like, let's face it. He can change the rules at any given time. They're talking about a new tax, which costs cost them 200 million bucks. And as Jared says, the uh, some of the concession on this roadway expire 2035, 2036. So it's not that far away. And uh, of course, they will then be up for tender. But the value of that tender will be determined, I guess, by this new tax as well. The other thing about this is, as you know, as interest rates go up, it does obviously affect them. And as the European economy uh, stumbles around at the moment, despite the fact there's a tourism boom, etc., cetera, um, that also has a bearing on their traffic numbers. So for me, this is still bad MIG. Right. Um, good, good MIG, which is defensive, which is a good business, is transurban, mainly because they have you know, massive long lead uh, times for those concessions. They have virtual monopolies in on the east coast of Australia with Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. You know, I came back from the airport the other day and I, I you don't check these things very often, do you? Let's face it, because you just, the, the yeah. machine goes It just beeps. It just beeps. Yeah. beeps. One of the days where I chuck $2.50 in the, uh, in the bucket going across the Harbour Bridge, I was staggered coming back from the Eastern Distributor at $9.29. Was the top? I, I was looking at it thinking, well, that must be for a lorry, surely. Yeah. No, that is for a car, and the, it, it, that is an inflation hedge. There, Transurban is a far, far better business with with a great inflation hedge built in because they raise uh, the tolls by CPI every quarter. So if CPI is seven percent, well, that toll is going up by seven percent every yeah. year. Um, and you know you don't even notice it. That's the thing. So you know if if you're looking at a, a defensive stock which is inflation proof, not only is it inflation proof in that respect, but also they've hedged out a lot of their debts. So they're not being hurt by the interest rates currently. Of course, it will hurt when they have to roll it over. But for me, Transurban is a much better business. That's good MIG. And right. Atlas Arteria is bad MIG, especially with the French government's sort of um, capricious nature with putting taxes and etc. Yeah. That you know, they're yeah. a socialist government. Macron is um, because uh, uh, when when interest rates were at zero, Transurban did lock in for yeah. 15, 20 years. They they rolled yeah. over a lot of their their debt. 
I, th I think five to seven years is, right. is kind of the average, average period for, okay. the, for their, for their right. debt. But, you know, hopefully interest rates will come down before they have to roll them over. But that, you know, it is an interest yeah. rate sensitive stock. But, uh, you know, it's still good, Mig, not bad, Mig. Okay. All right. Uh, I still can't figure out the accounting as an old accountant with these infrastructure. How, how you can pay dividends out of borrowing still uh, befuddles my mind. But anyhow, let's not yeah. get into that. That's very good. <laughs> um, our full stop, Reese wants a view, um, Henry, on Boral, the big uh building materials uh, company that um, Seven Group Holdings have a big stake in? Yeah, I mean, Seven Group have got around, what, 73% of this one. Kerry Stokes yep. has done the uh, the takeover by stealth uh, very, uh, very shrewdly as well. So he creeps up the register. I'm not sure he crept up last time, but he, he can creep up 3% uh, every six months. So he has done a takeover by stealth. Of course, this one is very much geared to the housing cycle, which... Mm you'd have to say is not as uh, buoyant as uh, as some cycles have seen it to be. So for me, this is probably a little bit of an avoid at the moment, just because of the the, the you know the slowdown in the economy, that mortgage cliff, et cetera. Um, but there's nothing really to get excited. I'm not sure what the kicker is for this one, unless Kerry was very generous and decided to take out the other 26, 27% and offer you know, five bucks plus, but that's not going to happen, I wouldn't think. So it's probably a hold at best, um, right. but only, only for any kind of, um, you know, look through 18 month view on a, on a housing yeah. covery um, in terms of spending on, on housing, et cetera. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, not for me, not for All me right. at the moment. Okay. Uh, Jared, yes, yeah, because so, the interesting thing we've got record home construction at the moment, yeah, right at this very moment, which is all the building approvals, yeah. from during um, the pandemic mm -hmm. when local councils were told you whip these approvals through to keep people yeah. in jobs, but right now building approvals mm. for the next sort of in three years time. Yep. 30 year lows or something, aren't yep. they? So is that uh, yeah. issue for Bora? Well, I think if you look at, um, go from 2017 to now, I mean, we've had a construction boom, they should be printing money. Margins yep. have gone from like 10 to 12% down um, to kind of like four in FY22. Um, AGM guidance is implying EBIT margins of 8%, and then consensus is saying at FY25, I believe, a 10% margin. So you're expecting some mm. of this expansion in margin to come through. Um, that being said, it's trading on 23 times. So, you know, it's expensive for a cyclical story. If they miss at all, it's in trouble. Right. So, okay. you know, do you want to take a position here and own it? Probably not. Right, okay. All right, so a no on Borel from Jared. We're back to Megaport, Jared, which you mentioned in the next DC yeah. um, um, analysis. Jonathan wants a view on Megapore, why do you like Megapore better? Yeah, so I think the key difference between say an XDC and a Megaport is the capital intensity of it. Um, Megaport for context is a global network fabric. Essentially what they're doing is trying to provide networking on demand like what Amazon did for compute. Right. Um, and that's been a journey for the last sort of 10 years. You know, okay, like so really does that, that mean they actually don't build physical data centers? No. It's how it's the they talk, talk to each other. Yeah, so right. they provide now, um, it, it started out as, you know, you wanted to connect a data center in London and, and Sydney, you'd yep. have to go and negotiate with Telstra to get the, the connectivity. And that would take you weeks and weeks and weeks of approvals and 
setting things up where Megaport would do it on demand in say like 60 seconds for right. you. Um, but they've layered a lot of technologies on top of that now. And so they've got things like a global wide area network. So if you wanted to set up infrastructure globally, you could do it at a touch of a button. Um, if you, you want to just provide connectivity between two data centers, you can do it at a touch of a button. And they've just launched their recent quarterly uh, enterprise internet now as well. So you know, it was always seen as a private internet play, but now you can get um, direct actual public internet through them as well. So for us, it's a business that's providing extremely high returns on in incremental capital. You know, um, gross margins extremely high, um, and it's just about putting more and more on top of the network. I mean, unfortunately, um, they've had a couple of quarters of pretty soft operational KPIs, but um, financial re results have actually been pretty good. So they they you know guided to 190 million dollars um, for the full year, and the current first quarterly assumes that they're going to hit that or exceed that. Um, but yeah, Megaport, it got hammered on the first quarterly result, mm. despite things being well flagged. So for me, I, I would definitely, it's like, I think it's the only thing I've said buy today. So right, yeah, yeah. Let, just buy it. We're, um, we're a shareholder. Um, for us, it's a fantastic business. For the, it's a very broad global rollout. Um, and it's just going to get more and more scale mm. and increment, uh, increasing returns to scale. So, okay. you know, free cash flow profitability, EBITDA profitability is there now. Because they do get lumped into data centers and everyone yep. thinks, oh, Megaport's a data center yeah. group, but it's a really Very different, different business, isn't yeah. it? Completely different beast. Yeah, yeah. Um, Henry? I have a, a, an interesting track record, I guess, with this stock. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like buyer's remorse, investor's remorse coming out, is it? No, no not, not really. I, I, I recommended it on the on, on the call once, uh, and I went very hard with a buy on it, and it, it rallied about 5% the following day, only to fall dramatically uh, after that. And then it got down to about 4 bucks, And, of course, um, then it had a string of good results and pushed up to 12 bucks. And I was very vindicated in my strong buy, but it, it did uh, it did shake the um, the foundations a little bit. I, I guess this one is, is quite volatile, and we've seen some big, big spikes uh, both up and down. And we saw that big spike down uh, from around 12 bucks to under 10 bucks recently on the back of that uh, recent result. So I get the feeling it's a little bit uh, unjustified, and they got lumped in, uh, I guess, uh, with some of the... the the failures that we've seen in some of the stocks recently, some of the high flyers that have flown too close to the sun and, and the feathers have come undone. I'd be a buyer with Jared here uh, under 10 bucks, $9.50, I think is uh, is relatively good value. The results, everything's going in the right direction. But, you know, when you're a growth stock and the numbers that came out in terms of that, uh, that last quarterly uh, and that presentation for the FY24 uh, first quarter, they weren't screaming growth. Um, and I think the market was a little disappointed in that. Also, you know, it did start to break down quite quickly. But I think around these levels, good support around $9.50, I'd be a buyer of this one. I think we could see 12 bucks again by Christmas. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, fifth five stocks, stock of the day, Amcor, uh, a hold from Henry, a no from Jared. Uh, GQG Partners, buy from Jared, a hold from Henry, next DC. Uh, hold from Henry, no from Jared, prefers Megaport in that space. Uh, Atlas Arteria, a no from both. Um, this is bad Macquarie Infrastructure Group. Uh, Transurban is good Macquarie Infrastructure Group and Henry uh, prefers Transurban in uh, in this space. Uh, Boral, a hold from Henry, a no from Jared and Megaport, a buy from both. 
All right, uh, this half hour, we're going to run our eye over Capricorn Metals, Piedmont Lithium, Pact Group, IDT, and TPG Telecom. Uh, Henry, uh, Barbara wants a view on Capricorn, the uh, uh, gold producer and explorer out of WA with the Mount Gibson project. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I was actually at the IMARC um, resource, big resource conference yesterday, 10,000 delegates. Wow. Um, and and there were, it's, it's absolutely huge down at uh, Darling Harbour at the ICC, huge conference, uh, which was uh, very well organised. And, of course, it was all about resources. And, but it's just, it was kind of interesting to see how down in the dumps uh, a lot of resource uh, CEOs and MDs were um you know, given that we've got gold at pretty much record yeah. highs in Aussie dollar terms, Capricorn obviously doing okay. Uh, last production report was pretty good. Uh, that was about 5% higher than the market was going for. Um, but the costs, um, uh, you know, we, we have seen elevated costs in these things. You, you're very much playing the gold market. It has run quite hard as well from $4 back up to sort of 470 480 I, I still like the gold price given what's happening in um, in the Middle East at the moment. I still think there's value there, and I think the uh, the, the gold miners generally haven't really been given enough kind of credit for where the bullion price is in, in Aussie dollar terms. So um, I kind of like this one. It's it's just run a little bit hard. I'd buy it on any pullbacks, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely in the hold category. If you if you're into gold stocks, and clearly your uh, your viewer is. Uh, then it's probably not a bad one to hold at the moment. Okay. The uh, the production numbers okay, and we are got you know Aussie dollar gold records. Well, it's, well, it's crazy. What's your preferred stocks in in the gold miners at the moment? Well, I kind of been backing uh, the the Genesis guys, uh, Raleigh Finlandson, to put uh, the band back together because he was the guy behind Northern Star. Also, quite like DeGray, but both have not been massively performing. To some extent, I probably should have been looking at Capricorn because it has been performing uh, relatively well in this gold environment. As I say, production numbers are relatively good, uh, everything going in the right direction. So, um, yeah, the Carla Winder uh, yeah. gold project why, looks why are Why are gold stocks unloved at the moment? I, I think to some extent it's a bit of a cost thing. Um, and I think, you know, it's just, a, a, I guess to some extent, you know, you've got the lithium stocks in in the toilet, uh, the producers anyway, and that sort of, that has infected the rest of the sector. You've also yeah. got base metal stocks as well under pressure. You know, IGOs had a bit of a shocker recently. Uh, so there is this kind of negative wash on resources generally, which I think is pretty unjustified with gold. Um, and there's a lot of things happening in the gold space as well. There's a few M&A things, not least of which was Newcrest and Newmont. So um, it, mm. it, it's, a good, it's a good sector, but it is cyclical. You have to trade it. Uh, it's not one that you hold forever. You've got to buy low, okay. sell high. Jared, are you a fan of gold stocks? Well, we, we we tend to avoid mining exploration companies just because of the lack of predictability. But, um, you know, I think for Capricorn, um, you know, the team that's running, it's a very well-regarded team. So was it Massey and is it Thompson? Thomas? Yeah, Massey and Thomas. They came out of Regis Resources. Yep. Um, it, is a, it is trading on pretty high multiples compared to its peer group, um, but probably justifiably so. Um, you know, that Mount Gibson project, can like double production numbers and um, you know it's 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 a it's a well-run high-margin yep. business. Um, but I think uh, all in 
kind of costs like 1400 an ounce for the Mount Gibson project. So it's kind of in line with the Kalawana, Kalawana project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's not something we tend to play in because of the lack of predictability. You know, it's, it's boom or bust. Um, but, you know, from what I can see, on, it's, a, it's a pretty good story. Right. So yeah. buy for you or? Yeah, well, let's, let's go for a buy. Okay, one, all right. right. Yeah. Um, but gold itself, do you find any of the big gold producers? Well, yeah, we don't do tend to. Do they play yeah. any part in the portfolio? No, just because of, you know, te- like mining exploration or mining companies tend to be, you know, price takers effectively. And we like to own companies that are in control of more things than they're not. Um, so, you know, you want to be on the lowest cost curve of production um, to be able to take that spread. But, uh, you know, for us, we tend to avoid them just because of the lack of predictability that comes with mining exploration. Um, but, you know, as I said from here, from what I can see, it's pretty well run. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Good management track yeah. record. Uh, stick in the resources space. Uh, Sam wants a view. We're just talking about uh, lithium. Henry Piedmont Lithium uh, listed here, but also um, in America as well, owns the Piedmont Lithium Project in North Carolina in the United States. Yeah, they've got a certain amount of geographic diversity, to say the least. They've got the North American Lithium Project, which is starting to ramp up. They've also backed uh, Atlantic Lithium in Ghana uh, with the uh, Iwoya. I'm not sure if I've pronounced that correctly. My Ghanese is not great. Um, But the Iwoya Project, they've just got mining permits for Atlantic there. So that's starting to to kick in as well. They've got to put in some more money to that to obviously develop that mine and there were some concerns and have been concerns in the past regarding Atlantic and uh, some of the mining permits. There was um, rumours of uh, you know brown envelopes to various people with uh, with yeah. cash in it too, which, uh, which upset the apple cart. I guess the problem at the moment is that despite what's going on in WA with this, this land grab from, uh, from our friendly billionaires in the likes of Chris Ellison and, and Gina Reinhardt, the lithium stocks are pretty much in the toilet. Uh, Piedmont lithium is no exception. It's cut, it's halved in the last few months from uh, sort of the end of June and beginning of July, where it was 90 cents. Now we're at 43 and a bit cents. So it has halved. Pilbara's been on the nose. A lot of these lithium stocks, the, the buzz has really gone out of them. Um, but at the same time, we had a $3 bid for Liontown and a, and a big bid for uh, Azure. And we've just seen Chris Ellison take a big stake in uh, Wildcat. Mm. And a lot of these projects are, are not even built or producing yet, whereas Piedmont is starting to produce. So I think, you know, given that it's got this diversity, it's also got some downstream assets in Tennessee. I, I, I don't mind this one here, but it, it just, it's very much in a sentiment hole at the moment. But if you're brave, I think there's some opportunities starting to emerge in some of these lithium stocks. And, uh, you know, at 43 cents, it's starting to look quite attractive. I'd probably put yeah. a buy on this one, Koshi, I've got to say. Okay. A buy on uh, Piedmont. You mentioned Wildcat. Tell me yeah. about Wildcat, only because I was on a plane, <laughs> la- I was on a plane last week coming back from uh, Adelaide, uh, from Perth, from Telethon. Uh, yeah. in Perth only two weeks ago. And one of the flight crew um, said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the call. Um, right. And I've been in Wildcat Resources. Um, I bought in March this year. 
And I thought, Wildcat Resources, I had no idea what it was. And then I looked yeah. at its chart, uh, and it's currently 75 cents. And back in March, it was 10. Yeah, I'm surprised he's actually working still, to be honest. He obviously didn't, <laughs> he obviously didn't buy enough, because this, this has come screaming out of the blocks. Yeah, um, it's, it's been quite an extraordinary ride. I, I, you know, I wrote this one up, and I think about... 35 40 cents in the newsletter as a bit of a speculative buy but suggesting that maybe to run too hard and you know it's going to raise some money etc and then it's just done it again and right. you've got uh, mineral resources have taken 19 odd percent at 85 cents uh, in a block trade this is the the reason for that. and it hasn't even got a resource yet this is really from drill results they've got out of a project in the pilbara lithium project called tabba tabba right. uh, which certainly has really you know it really has uh, generated an awful lot of uh, excitement for the company, which has gone from a minnow to uh, to a target for mineral resources. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll wait and see whether um, it does pan okay. out. They had a 85 meters, one and a half percent lithium from 133 meters. Right. You know, the, the, these are pretty good numbers that would we've seen. Would you sell? Now, which... Would you take your profits? Um, no. I, oh, I, you'd no, hold I, it. I think I'd probably hold it. You know, if, if Chris Ellison from Mineral Resources is happy to take stock at eighty-five cents and, okay. and buy nearly twenty percent of the company, that to me okay. is a signal that you know there's more happening here. He's a, this is Patrick from Qantas, um, so he's a Wildcat, and he reckons the new Wildcat is Killy Resources. Killy, right? Okay. Well, Patrick's my man. I'm going. Used to be taxi drivers giving you stock tips, and now it's. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's Stuart. It's Qantas flight crew. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I got nothing else to do, have they? Uh, oh, he's a <laughs> very It was a very nice flight. All right, yeah. uh, Jared, what do you think of? Yeah, uh, we've thrown a few around there, but Piedmont. Yeah, Piedmont. I think um, I guess the thesis <laughs> there is that they should be a low, the lowest cost producer, or a, a, a very low cost producer of lithium, um, yep. and then their proximity to US and European kind of EV manufacturing supply chains. Gives them a good, um, you know, it underwrites the business pretty well. So particularly given China is the majority producer of these of this asset, so you know it gives them an alternate supplier. Yep. Um, I guess for, as companies transition from you know exploration to sort of production, like Piedmont's doing, there's a valuation sort of gap there, and that's um, something that you should be looking forward to. But from what I understand now, that North American project is kind of funding. Evoya and um, you know the Tennessee project, so you know it'll start yeah. to underwrite an expansion in the ability for them to generate further cash flows. So yeah. right, are you in in lithium stocks at all? No, right, not at Why? all. Same thing. Same so, thing. Unpredictability of that share price. You right. know, I think the lithium price is off like sixty percent peak to trough. So okay. it's, it's a tough environment, but yeah. um, but you know if they can continue to build out and link into those supply chains, you know EV demand etc is continuing to grow. You know the story. Um, yep. Yep. So, it's definitely something. Let's give it a buy. Yeah. Oh, you are giving it a yeah, buy. Why okay. Not? Yeah. I thought you were. Oh, why not? There we go. Long term. On a, yeah, long term. Okay, long, long term. term. Yeah, that's the advice hold, I got yeah. once from an economist mate of mine who said, Koshi, if you're going to forecast, you do it one of two ways either regularly so you can keep yeah. changing your mind, or so far into the future, people forget, forget what you've said when you that's get right. there. That's right. Yeah. So when I, I'll come back on next time the share price is yeah, yeah. down, say, look, yeah. <laughs> make a note of it. All right, something a bit, uh, let's go back to industrials now. Something a bit more traditional. Mike, Jared wants a view on PACT. And we talked about Amcor at the start of the program. Packed also uh, in packaging, uh, plastic packaging, rigid plastic packaging in Australia and New Zealand, uh, materials handling, contract manufacturing and the like. 
is is packed a better option than Amcor? Oh, geez, it's a tough or sector. Avoid that but as yeah, well. again, I'd say it's another avoid. I mean, it looks cheap at four times earnings, but yeah. um, you know, Roik's been coming down, slow single digit margins. There's been a lot of input cost pressures. Um, it's hard. I mean, it's under a, a takeover with a kin group, so yep. you know that might underwrite the share price for a little while. It's trading above the offer, so it suggests that there's another one coming. Right. But for us, again, it's you know, low margin, low growth. Right. Probably avoid that. Okay. Henry? Uh, this is an intriguing one, isn't it? I've got to say, for, mm. forget all, you know, what they, what they actually do for a living in terms of, uh, you know, comparisons to Amcor. But the, their biggest shareholder, who owns over 50% of the company, is bidding 68 cents. They're currently trading at 72 cents. The board has told him to go away and have rejected the offer. This is bearing in mind that uh, the Kin Group with uh, Rafael Gaminda owns over 50%. So, you know, he'd have a pretty big influence on the board, you would think. Yeah. The board has rejected the offer, and the independent report has come out with an estimate value of pact between $1.06 and $1.51, which, wow. you could, which you could drive a bus through, right? Um, obviously. <laughs> but... The, the point is, I guess, is that the uh, the independent valuation is considerably more than the 68 cents that uh, the Kin Group is trying to, or the board would argue, trying to steal the business for. So uh, clearly the market thinks there's another bid coming. Clearly the market thinks there is a deal to be done uh, between the biggest shareholder and the board and an agreed bid, which is going to be higher than 68 cents, but maybe not as high as a dollar six, otherwise we'd be up uh, a little bit higher. So, um, I guess to some extent you've got a. This is probably a buy. You've only got four cents downside. So, looking at the risk reward, uh, you know, with that bid lurking there at sixty-eight cents, then you've got four cents downside, maybe fifteen, twenty cents upside to get the board on board. If you pardon that little um, verbal <laughs> gymnastics. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there was a bit of gymnastics there. But if, if you, uh, you know, if you look at the risk reward, it's probably favoring a buy, uh, which is what the market's suggesting at the moment. Of course, there's always a risk that he can just walk away um, and the stock has been lower. But, um, you know, he's okay. a 50% plus. So I'd probably put a buy on this one. Just yeah, for risk but, but you'd put a trading buy on it. If you're, if you're, yeah. a, if you're an investor that yeah. just wants to be in stocks that not set and forget, but you don't want to look at it every day and sort of finesse the trading part. It's probably not for you. But if you probably if you want though. if you if you want to play the quirks of the market, which can get yep. you good returns in a short term, this yep. is ideal for it. it. It is what I call one of the Harry Kane stocks. Um, <laughs> in that, uh, although that soccer player, that, we're Tottenham the soccer player, although that theory has has gone out the window, I have to say, uh, Koshi, since he went to Germany and he lobbed one from halfway. But usually he's a tap-in man from six yards out. Uh, right. But he lobbed a Beckham-like strike the other day in, in Germany for uh, for Bayern Munich uh, from the halfway line. Incredible goal. Yeah. There you go. Used to play for uh, Tottenham Hotspurs and who were going great guns uh, under uh, Andrew Ange. Mr. Coglu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great result. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's get off soccer and uh, back to the stocks. IDT. Grant wants a view, uh, Jared, on IDP. And Grant says it seems to promise so much but delivers so little. Um, Grant, I, I reckon you could say that for a whole bunch of stocks, uh, uh, is a pharmaceutical supplier. Um, what do you think of IDT? 
Well, it's really small for us, like 20 mil market cap from memory. Right. And from what I understand, they do you know active farmer ingredients. So I think they've just moved into medicinal marijuana and um, some psychedelics. So maybe I need to do some on-site research. But, but you look um, at that chart, it's, yeah. it's incredibly illiquid, is it? Yeah, that's right. And for a fund manager like us, it's just, it, we just can't own it um, yeah. physically. We just can't own it, it get set or anything like that. So definitely for the retail space. Um, I think it's only doing six million bucks in revenue as well. So right. it's 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 definitely for me a, a, not for you, a, too a, small, too, small too high risk, too high risk. Yeah, Henry, what about you? <laughs> um, I got to say, I'm probably with Jared on this one. I I love these stocks that ha- have the um, the total addressable market, and you look through the um, <laughs> you look through the presentations, and you go, you know, the total addressable market for uh, for advanced therapies, thirteen point one billion US. And if we only capture a wee bit of that, then we're going to be millionaires. Um, you know, and they've got medicinal cannabis again, the total addressable market, etc. Um, it's not really liquid enough. It's t- it's too small. Um, they did put out a good announcement this morning uh, with some uh, some new contracts uh, and uh, revenue doing pretty well, I have to say. So uh, they're, they're clearly getting some traction. It's been, It's been a long time coming and it has been a tortuous journey. So uh, on that basis, yeah, I'm, I'm not a massive fan because of its size and because of its liquidity, but there was a better announcement today. But I just hate the whole total addressable market thing because you can, you know, you can play that game till the cows come home and, and so many companies do and it just, it really annoys me to some extent, you know. It, the addressable market is, you know, you've got to have the money to address that market. You've got to have the product to address that market. You've got to have the management skills to address it. You can't just say, hey, if we only we get one percent we're going to be rich well, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's it's, a, it's a how, how you do it that's for sure yeah all right yeah. uh our next talk uh henry alicia wants a view on tpg telecom our second largest telco company on the asx they uh wrapped up uh vodafone didn't they a couple of years ago yeah yeah, they've got a number of uh, you know big brands. Everyone you know would know IINet, etc. Um, the thing with TPG, I guess, and the thing with the, the whole telco sector is under it's still under a bit of pressure at the moment. I guess that's partly uh, consumer spending and not upgrading to the latest and greatest. But they do have with TPG, they do have quite a lot of debt now. They are in discussions with Vocus Group, uh, which they're hoping to sell. Uh, a big slug of their business too. So um, you know they've got nearly um, 3.9 billion dollars in debt on this business, and they're hoping to sell um, their fiber network uh, to Vocus. And it's been a long time coming. It's very complicated. We last had um, an extension of the due diligence was back in September, and that then ran out again at the beginning of October. And we're kind of still, it's its still around, it's still kind of happening, but it's certainly, you know, it's very complicated for are TPG. They, are they selling off, uh, some analysts reckon they're selling off, if you like, the jewel in the crown of TPG. Is that right? Do you agree with that? Well, I guess that—that that is the danger, isn't it? Is that uh, you know you get this big pile of debt, and the only thing you can sell is the is the good stuff, yeah. Um, because nobody really wants the bad stuff. It comes back to the good mix, bad mix. So, there the, there is an argument that would suggest that. Um, yeah, it's not really one I'd prefer. You know, in this kind of market at the moment, 
you're probably better off going with uh, the leader Telstra, which has been under some pressure as well. But but it's, TPG has been quite volatile. We haven't had too many updates for a little while on how bogus that uh, that deal is going. I guess it's also worth pointing out that Sol Patterson's is one of the big shareholders of that one. Sol Patterson's also owns uh, New Hope Coal, so it's a quite a diversified um, fund manager, right? Or LIC. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's TPG, not for me. It, it's gone a bit quiet for a little while in terms of the focus due diligence. Uh, if 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 they don't sell it, then they've still got a big pile of debt, which seems to be increasing and interest yeah. rates are high. So right. they will be under some pressure again. But you've got a wrap on Telstra as an alternative. I, I, I'm not sure wrap's the right word, Koshi. Okay. I think preferred right. would be it's right. if you're, a massive wrap. If you want to get get into the sector. Um, yeah. in, interesting is saying Sol Pats have a big stake in TBG. We had Lindsay Transport yesterday um, on the call and uh, Sol Pats is a 20% owner of them as well and biggest shareholder. So that portfolio has a has a lot of interesting sort of Sol Pats um, portfolio that have a lot of interesting yeah. companies that don't come to the limelight that much at all. It's mm. uh, mainly the coal stocks and the like. Um, Jared, uh, what do you think of, uh, of TPG? Yeah, so it's a stock we used to own. Um, and I'm probably in the camp of selling off the crown jewels. So, you know, TPG spent many years building out this amazing fibre yeah. asset. Um, they decided Who was the entrepreneur? David Teo. That's right. And then he left and went to Chuas. Yeah. Didn't I, he started that in a similar business in Singapore. Singapore yeah. yeah. And but, yeah. so, you know, I think if we go back to what they were doing at the time, the NBN was coming along and commoditizing yep. sort of the last mile piece. Um, and that had an edge there in terms of cost of delivery to customers. Um, some would say the Teo overpaid for that mobile spectrum because this whole idea of convergence was a really good one. You know, um, it sort of feeds on itself, mobile backhaul, being able to provide and serve customers at the cheapest rate yep. to get to the end customer or build around the NBN. Um, now the NBN's there, it's pervasive, everyone has to pay the access fees. Um, so I think for me, if they're selling off this asset, unfortunately they don't really have any choice. They're not gonna be able to raise fresh equity if you look at the current you know, right. TO, Hutchinson, Vodafone owning majority of the register. Uh, so they don't really have any choice and the downgrades have all been in this company have been driven by the, the, the floating rate, co- rate costs and the debt side. So they have to get rid of that debt. Right. Um, but unfortunately, they've got to sell off what the company would say would be the commoditized piece. But it solves a problem in the short run. But in the long run, I think it actually provides an issue. You know, Even if everything's getting commoditized, you want to own the actual underlying infrastructure to make right. sure you can amortize your costs over that. Yeah. Um, so for us, it's been a, you know, a sell for, well, we, we haven't owned it for quite some time. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily be buying it now, particularly if Focus right. is going to okay. sell. If you might get some capital return through, you know, if the if the deal gets done, um, and they get to pay down some debt, but then you're just left with a mobile business uh, and consumer um, mobile and broadband, um, and then yeah, which is pretty competitive. Yeah, yeah, is that? Yeah. Um, are you a fan of Telstra as an alternative? Uh, well, I mean, they've got a much better infrastructure um, play and they're not really under the same sort of pressures that TPG are. So, yeah, I think as a, as a, as a relative trade, for sure. Um, right. For us, again, it doesn't necessarily have the outlook in terms of growth. Right. I mean, you're sort of thinking like system growth, ARPU, you know, it's pretty competitive pricing and maybe they get inflation plus a little bit. Right. But costs are not really coming down. and um, you know, okay. not, So you were, really, you were, you're not there at all? No. 
in, no, no, no. in either of them. No. Okay. All right. Uh, let's uh, recap the final five stocks here on the call today. Uh, Capricorn um, uh, Metals, a hold from Henry, a buy from Jared. Um, a buy from both Henry and Jared on Piedmont. Uh, lithium, Jared puts the uh, the filter that's a long-term buy um, <laughs> for when, for when the uh, hopefully the lithium price rebounds as well. Uh, packed a no from uh, from Jared. Uh, Henry's got it as a buy, but a trading buy. So you've got to watch it closely if you get in. All based around the the mergers and acquisition, the, the takeover story at the moment that's uh, that's going on impact. So it's, it's certainly not a set and forget buy, uh, but it's one where you could make. A quick 10 20 percent if um, uh, if the um, cards fall your way in terms of the negotiation of the takeover uh, idt a no from both uh, tpg a no from henry a sell from jared um, henry says if if you want to get in the telco sector then uh, stick with the market leader in telstra uh, gents, thank you for today. Thanks, Jared, Paul, good to see you. you too. Uh, from ECP Asset Management, Henry Jennings from uh, Marcus today. Mate, always great to have you aboard. Catch Thanks, up. Always a pleasure. All right, that's it for the show for today. If you'd like us to cover any stocks that you're interested in that you want me to put to our expert panel, go to ozbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us using the at Ausbiz TV handle. And as I always say, when you come through with the suggested stocks, if you'd like any specific questions answered around the stock or you've got any comments on the stock, we always like that as well. And it gives the panel a bit of an indication on how you're thinking they can discuss it more thoroughly as well. So ausbiz.co uh, slash callpicks or tweet us using the at Ausbiz TV handle. That's it for the call for today. Back same time tomorrow, midday Australian daylight saving time coming up next at The Pulse. Stick around here on Ausbiz. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.